You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud. It's what women are talking about three times a week. I'm Holly Wainwright. I'm Mia Friedman. And I'm Jessie Stevens. Before we get started today, a quick shout out to our South Australian listeners. You went into lockdown. Well, your lockdown was announced on Wednesday while we were recording yeah. the show. Yeah, yeah. And just as we're going into and we, so we wanted to send all our love to you to say, stay strong. We know it's tough. You're not even getting takeaway. But as we're about to go into this recording, we've just had news alerts saying that your lockdown is finishing early. This is very good news. <laughs> Great Friday news. This, because someone told a lie. Yes, because somebody told a lie to the contact tracers. And so now it appears that the information was fake. So I hope, South Australians, that you do get to leave your house this weekend and that we can cheer you up while you're working out what the hell is going on in your state. And the message of the story is that we don't lie to contact tracers. Let's tell the truth and then maybe we won't get a six-day lockdown. It's the, the lesson of today. On the show today. Two of the very best things that cheer me up, food and sex. Two of the very best (laughs) things in the world. (laughs) Food and sex, yet they don't always go together. A woman went viral this week for pointing out the exact time that you're too full to, you know. And our best and worst of the week and recommendations. But first, if you're watching The Crown... And everybody in the world is watching The Crown right now except for Jesse. Correct. Yep. I represent those of us who think you're all mad, but continue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're probably at peak Diana obsession because she, played by this newcomer who looks very much like her called Emma Corrin, has entered the plot and everything's got a lot more interesting. Last season of The Crown was a little bit boring as it got ended on a little bit boring mm. note, but this is all Diana season. But it's not The Crown so much as another Diana TV show that's become the focus of what a lot of people are talking about this week because a formal investigation has been launched by the BBC about a very famous interview it did with Diana 25 years ago. Now, even if you don't think you know about this interview with Panorama, you do because it's where she very famously said... Well, there were three of us in this marriage, so it was a bit crowded. At the time when it was made, she and Prince Charles were separated, but divorce proceedings hadn't started yet. And very few people had heard Diana speak, even though she'd been famous for like 15 years, because as we know, princesses don't speak. And they'd certainly never heard her speak about her marriage or her rumoured battles with eating disorders, mental health, and both Charles's infidelities and her own, because it was also the interview where she admitted that she had cheated with James Hewitt. Why is it being investigated after all this time? Well, there's just been a documentary made about it and people close to her, including her brother, Earl Spencer, and Prince William, so he's he's pushing for this investigation too, are determined to expose the fact that the journalist who got it got it under false pretenses. So he's this really famous journalist called Martin Bashir. He went on to do a very famous interview with Michael Jackson. I remember that distinctly from my probably childhood when he did that and I remember watching it and it being very controversial. I don't remember that. Can you remind me of that Michael Jackson interview? Something about him being up a tree. Yeah, he was up a tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So shielded by his umbrella, he took me to his most secret place. I call it my giving tree because it inspires me. Do you want to climb it now? Yeah. Give me hold the umbrella. Yeah. You go and climb it and let me, and when you've climbed it, let's see how inspiring it is. It was a lot of dancing around the allegations, mm. but it was his, he's kind of known for getting these big, right. big interviews and he's still a journo and he still works for the BBC. 
And at the time, Diana was one of the most watched women in the world, but no one had got her to talk. And she trusted no one because almost everybody in her circles seemed to be leaking against her. Her friends were. And Bashir knew this. What has surfaced is that in order to get her to talk to him and win her trust, he went to her brother and he got to her that way, Earl Spencer. And he showed Earl Spencer some bank statements that he said proved that several of Diana's most trusted staffers were on the payroll of the British tabloids. But these staffers at that time weren't. The bank statements were actually faked by a graphic designer who worked at the BBC, who was later fired, as were some of these allegedly duplicitous staffers. So Prince William is cheering on this investigation, possibly because when this was aired, he was 13 and he was at Eton, which is the impossibly posh boys school in in England. And he had to watch this with one of his housemasters. When no one listens to you or you feel no one's listening to you, all sorts of things start to happen. For instance, you have so much pain inside yourself that you try and hurt yourself on the outside because you want help but it's the wrong help you're asking for. People see it as crying wolf or attention-seeking, and they think because you're in the media all the time, you've got enough attention, inverted commas. But I was actually crying out because I wanted to get better. So, I, uh, yes, I did inflict upon myself. I didn't like myself. I was ashamed that I couldn't cope with the pressures. He had to watch his mum <gasps> saying, yes, I had an eating disorder, yes, I self-harmed, yes, I threw myself down the stairs, yes... My husband was cheating on me. Yes, I cheated on him. Prince William watched all of that as a 13-year-old and he welcomes this investigation. He says the independent investigation is a step in the right direction. It should help establish the truth behind the actions that led to the Panorama interview and subsequent decisions made by the BBC. Earl Spencer says, I would never have introduced Bashir to Diana if I hadn't have seen Mm. those statements that now appear to be fake. And so now the BBC have said... A quarter of a century later, yes, we're going to investigate this ourselves. Let's discuss this fact. So this was an undoubtedly newsworthy interview, but it appears it was obtained under dodgy Mm. means, even though it was by a very reputable organisation, the BBC, pretty much above reproach. Is it appropriate that we're still asking questions about this? Is it important? Why is it important, Jessie? She doesn't know. Why would you ask her? (laughs) Well, I can't because, Mia, I... I'm interested in ethics. There was an incredible article in The Guardian by a woman named Gabby Hinscliffe. She said that most reporters will recognise something of the moral dilemma and that's the knowledge that sometimes the public interest is served only by people revealing something they will later bitterly regret. And that's what Diana sharing that, and this is what a lot of people around her said, was that she was struggling with her mental health a little bit. We see this in the media all the time and we watch news organisations capitalise on it. Um, And in fact, it's even harder now because people who are struggling with their mental health have a phone in their hand and they can record whatever they want and put it on Facebook or Instagram. And there's a question there about whether we should intervene. But it's interesting with Martin Bashir because he did the same thing to Michael Jackson. Mm -hmm. He then went on to promise Michael Jackson. He basically said, we'll do this interview with you and this show about you and I promise that I will hook you up with some guy who will take you to Africa and help you do all this charity work, which Jackson really, really wanted to do with kids in Africa. And he he didn't – well, I mean, let's just put on the record there that the claims are still – No, I believe the victims. Yes, I I do too, but uh, it was never found guilty in like a court of law and so – 
Jackson felt manipulated because he genuinely was manipulated by him oh, and ended up. Thing. If you are someone who is promised something to do an interview and then the person doesn't follow through on that promise, Martin Bashir didn't not follow through on that because he was concerned about the children. He's manipulative oh, look, and he's exploitative. There's nothing new or unusual about journalists having to win the trust of their subjects to get them to talk. And Mia? I've got three things to say about this. The first is Diana was not naive. Diana worked to feed her side of the story to Andrew Morton, who published the book Diana in her words or her story, whatever it was. She worked and behind that was the scenes. This. Yes. She also is well known for having worked with the press behind the scenes to get her side of the story and calling up journalists. And I'm not criticizing her for any of that. I think that whatever she could do to work against the people who were working against her, I mean, the whole thing is just such a messed up family, right? And a messed up situation. Diana told her story because Diana wanted to tell her story. I think that this interview is absolutely crucial and it will be interesting to see how it's played out in The Crown. I I don't think it's in this season. I haven't finished this season. I think it's in the next one where Diana is actually going to be played by the Australian actress Elizabeth Debicki. You know how they often change casting? Yeah. So Diana in her later years is going to be played by her. But the reason this interview is so crucial is that the day after it aired, the Queen pretty much ordered Charles and Diana to divorce. So they were separated at that stage. And after they divorced, she lost the protection of Scotland Yard, which is amazing when you think about it now, although I suppose the same things happened to Harry and Meghan in that they've left the royal family. So it's like you don't get all the security that is provided to you when you are an official part of the royal family. Had she had that protection still, because she only lived about a year and a half after that interview, she would not have been in a situation where she got in a car with drunk drivers, had no seatbelt on and was speeding away from paparazzi. It was all very, because it was Dodie Al-Fayed's, her boyfriend at the time, his security and his drunk driver and all of that kind of stuff. And she only had one security guard and it was all just a bit of a mess. So it could be argued that that interview was very, very pivotal because it would set on course her ultimate death. But apart from that, what I want to say about that interview is that I remember very clearly being at home, I think I was probably about 24, I think I'd just become a magazine editor, but I remember staying home late to watch it live, staying, going into work late to watch it live. It was on late morning. Do you remember, Hull? It was on late morning Australian time. It was a weekday and I watched it. And as someone who in my teenage years had had bulimia and how ashamed I'd been, it was not At that time, people would talk about anorexia a little bit, but nobody talked about bulimia. And for the most glamorous, desirable, aspirational woman in the world to talk about things like self-harm, about mental health, about bulimia, I felt so seen and I think so many people felt so seen. That was an incredible thing for her to do and she was decades ahead of her time. I mean, now everyone, as you say, Jessie, you know, talks into their mobile phone and we're in a much more confessional, you know, society. But back then... That was huge what she did. No question. And I think it's really interesting to look at all of this Diana story through a 2020 lens. And the the parts of that interview where she discusses self-harm, they could have been recorded yesterday and they mm. are amazing. However, does the fact that that interview is unquestionably interesting, newsworthy, probably had positive impact on a lot of people. You know, she wanted to get a divorce from Charles at that point and she knew that giving that interview would force the hand. So again, that was her choice. But does all of that excuse the fact that it was probably obtained in a duplicitous manner? 
No, I, I don't. I don't think that does excuse it. And Diana, those forms or those records that she was given would have really messed with her. Well, the thing is that's really interesting about this is a lot of people who worked for her were on the payroll. Yeah, the exactly. Payroll the tablet, but right? not all of so, them. No, yeah. So not all of them. Her therapist was on the payroll, was on a retainer with a tabloid newspaper, her own therapist. So it's not like he made something up that wasn't happening. He made it up yeah. about those particular people at that particular yeah, time. Yeah, and that's that's not okay. But I'm just saying it's not like she was right to be paranoid. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that people aren't really doing things behind your back. I agree. Like it, 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 It's very unethical, but it is very normal for a journalist who's trying to get a big story to schmooze the person they're trying to get mm. the big story. There's nothing unusual yeah. about that. Like win their trust, make them feel comfortable with you, you know, like it, apparently he had to court Earl Spencer and Diana for months and months and months to get this piece. Like it's not just he just rocked up with the bank statements and went, here we go. He's like infiltrating the family, making sure they all know he's a good guy. And it, I guess that is duplicitous, but it's also how journalists operate. Is that against the law now? Is that a silly it's question? Not, it, well, what he did in faking the documents is against the law, but it's not against the law to win the trust of your subject. But is it against the law for, you know, your therapist, for people, for insiders? I'm looking at the Meghan and Harry example, which feels like it's history repeating itself a quarter of it's a century later. It's not against later. the law. Like, is that, can you be on the payroll for tabloids? It's and not, it's against the law for the therapist. Like that, yeah. that's obviously breaks a lot of ethical boundaries. But that's why famous people have everybody sign NDAs. That's why, mm, right? So right. because they don't want them to do that. But you couldn't be arrested for it. But you have to remember this is peak tabloid time. There were hidden cameras in her gym. There were mm. the very established newspapers were tapping everybody's phones, which all came crashing down. With but news not of for the a world. long time. Yeah. Not not for another fifteen years. The Murdoch press, you know, were running very hard at this, and it was a completely wild west of the tabloid world at this time. So. Mm. The BBC are not the tabloids. The BBC are supposed to be the national broadcaster, mm. the trusted source, the ones about. So that's why everybody's very shocked about this and that's why they're taking it very seriously. And I think it's really interesting that those closest to Diana clearly still think it matters a great deal. Sometimes a writer is able to put into words a feeling that you've had that you didn't even fully know that you'd had and you feel so seen and understood that you just want to applause which is what I had this week when I read an article on The Cut by a woman named Cassie David. She's just released a book and this was an excerpt from her book. She's actually the daughter of Larry David and oh, she yeah she? it explains a lot. So she's the daughter of Larry David and she was dating Pete Davidson right up until he dumped her for Ariana Grande, which was just all context that I really needed. So to... Larry David is the the co-writer of Seinfeld, I think, and Curb Your Enthusiasm? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, right. So she wrote, this article was published on The Cut and it's been the top trending article for a week. And the headline is simply, too full to F word. We won't say it. Instead, we'll say the word fornicate and you can guess what we mean. So, too full to fornicate. She argues that for straight couples, this is important, straight couples, it's not the same with same sex, there's a critical difference in how the man experiences sex and how the woman experiences sex. In case you're not 
across this. The penis goes into the <laughs> vagina. Um, a vagina is kind of a crevasse, we might call it. <laughs> crevasse. And a yes, a crevasse. I'm going to not say anything and about that. In David's words, from what I've discovered, only one gender has to save room in her body if a penis is to go into it, meaning that sometimes if you've eaten a hearty meal, there isn't enough room for a penis. She says, sometimes I'm just too full to have sex. I don't know for sure if this is something that other girls experience or if it's just me because I've never heard any of them discuss it. Maybe it's supposed to be kept secret among us girls, information so sensitive that we cannot risk releasing it into conversation. Or maybe I'm actually the only one who gets too full to be able to have sex and if that's the case, then pretend this never happened. (laughs) People are very divided. A lot of people are saying this isn't a thing. Really? She yes, they are saying that she fundamentally misunderstands the human anatomy because yeah, a well, penis doesn't go into the stomach. But it's a feeling. Mm. It's a feeling, exactly right. And others are feeling very seen. Uh Holly, is this a thing and if it is, do you have any solutions? I do have a solution. Oh, I'm you very always glad do. you asked. <laughs> Why is Holly? Because we were talking about this in our editorial meeting yesterday and I want to set the scene of myself and a lot of much younger women and they were all, their minds were blown that that this writer had, had get put into words, as you said, Jesse, had put into words this sensation and I was like, are you guys kidding me? You didn't, you don't, this isn't something that you've thought about before and I want to bring to mind Dan Savage, who is an American gay sex expert who has a podcast, who writes on this topic for ages. Several years ago, he said the most important piece of information that he could give to couples who wanted to still have sex on date nights is fornicate first, always, before you go out, yep. never after mm. you go out. When You've you're got looking to nice. Mm, before yeah. dinner. Always. And a writer wrote about this at the time who I think absolutely nailed it because it doesn't work in every situation. No. If you're going out with someone you've already had sex with and don't need to evaluate in public for reasons of safety and Mm. suitability, then please, for the love of God, fornicate first. It's always better because we've built up this thing that a romantic night out, date night, is we'll go out and we'll have a few drinks, we'll get dressed up, we'll have a few drinks and then we'll go out for dinner and we're comfortable with each other so I'm going to eat all the things I want to eat and then we might even have another drink and then we're going to go home and we're just going to feel so sexy and into it. And who on earth feels sexy and into it after several drinks and dinner? In fact, I go as far as to say that the fact that we seem to conventionally think that sex should take place at night at the end of the day is bullshit. I don't feel sexy after a long day and a day of eating and dealing with the children and work and all the things, that's not the time to have sex. You feel heavy and you feel tired. Then you put drinks in the mix and it's just you feel a little bit dizzy. It's not pretty. And I feel as though every generation needs to learn things for the Mm -hmm. first time. And this woman saying it is like, oh, we all feel a little bit like this. Mia, can you can you relate? Yes, absolutely. I think this is very, very true. I never feel less sexy than at the end of the night. I just, I never feel less <laughs> sexy than after a big meal or going out, having a few drinks. But whole, you know, you said this idea of having sex at the end of the day is really stupid. Like, why is everyone having sex at night? How are you going having sex in the day with two little kids? <laughs> How's that working out for you and Brent? Early morning is the key. But kids get up early. Mm. 
Well, yeah, but you can distract them. They're not that small yeah. anymore. Learning so much about you. Mummy and daddy needs, need to have a special talk. <laughs> that is why iPads were invented. Afternoons are good for that. Put a movie on. Constance yeah. Hall got very famous for writing about that, didn't yeah. she? Put a movie on, close the doors. I don't know. I think that it's very good advice to like free yourself from the expectation mm. that it's going to be at the end of the day all the time. And if you're dating and you don't have constraints of children, because it is a bit awkward, the babysitter can't arrive and you go, <laughs> hold on a minute, can you just feed the kids their dinner in the living room? We're going to the, you can't do that unless your babysitter is very well known to you, maybe a family member who is very familiar. That's not going to happen. So it doesn't work in every situation, but if it is possible do it first. Then you also go out yeah. for dinner feeling all like, oh, you know. Yeah, you've got that good. glow. You've got that glow. You're liking each other. And then you can just eat as much as you want yes. and have the extra wine and then go home and lie on the couch and watch The Crown. I want to hear Shout. from outlouders and particularly our same-sex outlouders who are in same-sex couples or relationships. I want to hear if this is an issue in same-sex relationships. Tell us what you think about this or anything else we talk about on the show, but particularly about the right time to have sex on sexy date night uh, by jumping in the Outlouders Facebook group or recording a voicemail and sending it to us at outloud at mamamia.com.au. I want to hear from the single Outlouders too because shout out to the single hetero ladies who are having to go and eat their meal, have a few drinks and then have sex afterwards. You can't do it when you're dating because, as you say, you have to have, like, the sexual tension build throughout the night mm. and then you've got to pretend like you're completely comfortable. You've got to make sacrifices. And, again, we do not talk about it enough. That's the best. It was so great. I loved it. Oh, my God, that's the worst. Sucked. I like talking about bad things. Time to workshop our best and worst moments of the week. Uh, just a recap of the rules. There is no judgment. It can be a small thing. It can be a big thing. Nothing is too petty to be a worst or to be a best. <laughs> it doesn't reflect the type of person you are. So I'm going to start with my worst. It happened, I can't remember which morning it was. It was early in the morning. Uh, my children were getting ready we had tradespeople arrive. They were making their own breakfast because they always do. And the dog started barking wildly. And my daughter said to me, Mum, can you please deal with Bella? I'm trying to like make my lunch or whatever. And I said, I can't. I'm busy. And she said, what are you talking about? I just looked over your shoulder. You're on Instagram. And I shouted back at her. Pete Evans has just posted a Nazi symbol and now he's going, he's about to go into the jungle and it's an emergency. <laughs> As those words came out of my mouth, I was not proud. I was not <laughs> thinking it was one of my, you know, high mark moments as a, as a mother. And my children and my husband all just looked at me like I'd lost my mind and I had to apologise to them afterwards. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. I know. And I'm going to have another worst, even though Ooh, I know, worse. but this one's kind of, it was, it was best and I'll explain why my, it was my best. So last week, Jesse talked about the convenient cop syndrome and how yes. when something bad happens to you and there's a cop that just happens to be around and it's really convenient. 
On the weekend or the next day, I had inconvenient cop syndrome. I was sitting in my car at the traffic lights and it was a place near my house that I knew that the traffic lights took ages to change. And I was returning a dog bed. So it was in sort of the back of my car and my dog was in the car and she jumped into the dog bed in the car. And I thought, this is funny. I'm going to take a picture. So I just picked up my phone and held it up and took a photo of it. And my daughter said to me, mum, there's a police car next to you. And I went, what is there? And then they rolled down their window and they said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just taking a photo of my dog. (laughs) And they said, pull over after the lights and we'll have a chat. And we had a chat and I learned that even at traffic lights, when your car is stationary, you cannot touch your phone. And the reason that this was the best of the week is that it was a very good reminder. Yes. Not to touch my phone in the car. And also they didn't give me a ticket, which was really kind of them because you can lose lots of points and get fined. I genuinely thought that it was just when you were driving that you couldn't pick up your phone, but you actually can't touch your phone if you are the driver of the car at any time. So... No, I know Exactly that. right. It's a, a good tip I heard once is to put it in your handbag and put it in the back seat because a lot of us, yeah. we are addicted. We are not good with um, any sort of discomfort and so I actually just need it completely out of sight because it is, you know, really dangerous and it's not something we should be doing. Yes. Jesse, you want to go next? Yep. Okay, so my best actually was also Pete Evans related, right? And it's basically that I feel like in the last three weeks or so, I feel very vindicated because first it was Trump and then it was Pete Evans. (laughs) And I don't want bad things to happen to people. But how I feel is that maybe after all there is a truth we can agree on and maybe there is a code of ethics and there's a sense Mm. of universal morality that does exist. It just takes a little while to come round. Are you feeling optimistic as the year comes to a close? I'm feeling a little optimistic. I I like that. Uh, what I like is that it's as though what we've learned, and of course there are still people contesting the election in the US, but literally no one's listening anymore. We've just really turned the volume down on that because there is a truth. There are facts and there are lies and there's good things and there are bad things. And the things we learned at school about being a good person and not s- selling your friend a $15,000 machine that actually doesn't cure COVID, all those lessons that we learned are actually very, very true. And that's what I'm thinking with Pete Evans this week is that we discovered where the line was and it is Holocaust denial. That's the line. He then... <laughs> and neo-Nazi exactly, <laughs> he He towed it. He went, I'm a neo-Nazi. And we went, that's a firm no from us socially. And yes, he's still up on Instagram and Facebook, which we have problems with. But we're talking the other week, his followers, some of whom are, are reasonable people, have also gone, I'm not about this. Yeah. And it's been a really vindicating moment, I think, to see that that change and to go, no, we do actually have a universal standard. Yay. And I like that a lot. My worst is that um, my mum keeps recounting uh, plots from the crown to me on the phone. <laughs> and, so, and not just your mum. <laughs> no, exactly. And then I come Tell here. her to text me. I'm, in for, I'm into I think that. She needs to it's all I want to talk about. Because I'll call her and I'll talk about something and she's like, that reminds me of on the crown when the queen <laughs> said she had a favourite daughter and then Philip was like, <gasps> oh, Anne yes. is my favourite. And she just goes on and on into <laughs> real detail about 
specifics, which You've I don't get care on board. about. Oh, I just can't. You do. It's great. There is so good. So much. I want Olivia Coleman to be my nana. Yeah, I love Olivia Coleman. She's so good as the queen. Oh my god. The other thing I just wanted to throw in as a bit of a worst is that Australia's blood supply is really low at the mm. moment. We've got two days worth or something. Uh if you are oh in a position god. where you can go and give some blood. I was looking it up this week. I've been a bit slack. I gave it a little while ago and haven't followed up. Do it. You can go on a Saturday if you work during the week, you know, go for a little lunchtime blood donation thing. Uh, One thing I've discovered, I wrote about it this week, full of hot people. Hot people (laughs) give blood. And the good Mm. thing is it's a great place to meet people because sometimes you can date someone for a year, 10 years, 50 years and discover they're a bit of a shit person. But if you meet someone at the blood bank, chances are they're pretty good. They're That's nice a people. Very good recommendation, Jesse. I Jessie. think let's go to the blood bank, have a bit of speed dating, get a mm. free snack, honestly. And plasma. Snacks are great. The snacks are great at the blood bank. Yes. Consider donating plasma too. Exactly. There is, uh, there's uh, a couple of people in my life at the moment who need blood and plasma donations. Go do it. I can't because I'm English, unfortunately. There are some very silly rules about yeah. this, but anyway, I digress. My worst happened this morning and. <laughs> I'm just throwing it into my humble brag that I have stuck to my exercise thing. Yes. You know how a few weeks ago I said I've discovered rediscovered exercise and it's great. No point in exercising if you can't bring it up. It's on true every if you can't bring it up all the time. Anyway, this morning I went down to exercise 6am at the beach near where I live and the beach was overrun with young people who yesterday presumably had their school formals. Wow. And they were, it was 6am and they had obviously all gone to the beach to watch the sunrise. <laughs> and now they were all over where I'm supposed to be doing my burpees oh, no. in their satin bias cup dresses and their bad suits with their Bacardi breezes. <laughs> And I had to get down and do push-ups in front of these people. Were they laughing they at laugh you? Did they laugh at you like out loud or just more internally? So the trainer, who's this wonderful <clears throat> young woman called Kate, tried to yell at them like a nana. <laughs> there were like a hundred of them. And she was like, it's time to go home. It's time to go home and go to bed. Oh, that's Because fantastic. all the exercises were coming in. It was the changing of the guard between the people who'd been getting drunk all night on yes. the beach and the people who were coming there to exercise. And some of them were respectful and went away and some of them decided to commentate oh, that the is first so good. 10 minutes of our boot camp. Which is is a mixture of ages and abilities of people who are down there (laughs) trying to do burpees in the sand. And I did not appreciate it. (laughs) And I found myself very indignant and I was like, 6am? I didn't stay out till 6am until I was in my mid-20s and discovered things that kept you up until 6am. These (laughs) These kids, they're ahead of their time. Go home. (laughs) It was bad. Anyways. That was my worst. The kids these days, tell you what, uh, <laughs> my best is a little bit related. Oh, yeah, my best is a little bit related and that's that I went away last weekend with my girlfriends, as you know, which is awesome because I love going away. If I'm going to go away with people who aren't my family, I like them to be people I know really well and so you can still mm. just do you, you know, and I can be that with, with my friends Penny and Karen. Like I can just disappear. I like I like to be on my own. I can do that. They don't mind. But... I had my first swims of the year and I absolutely love swimming in the sea and I forget every winter how much I love it and then I get back in the ocean and I just, it makes me feel alive. A million dollars. So did I. Because you know how I was talking about being burnt out? This weekend, last weekend, I went to the beach both days and I'm cured. I just needed a bit of sunlight 
I'm like a plant and I've come back to life. Yeah. Jumped in the ocean. I feel amazing. Frosty, salty water splashing around. I had the best time and I feel revitalised. So I'm excited for summer. So that was my best. Recommendations time and Mia has one for us this week. I have a recommendation that actually came from Jessie's mother, which is HelloFresh. Yes. Uh, I'm a late uh, discoverer of HelloFresh. It's like a meal delivery service where they send you the ingredients to make meals and they send you a recipe. And I did it for the first time. And of course, I didn't cook. I delegated to my children because I'm like, you get one night each. You can each cook. And they did and they followed the instructions and I felt like I was being a good parent because I was teaching them how to be self-sufficient and I was actually... And they were learning recipes. They were learning recipes and they were learning maths. I think there was maths involved, um, following directions <laughs> and I got to eat yummy food and I didn't have to think about it and it was great. Hello Fresh, great. There's oh. loads of vegetarian options. You use it too, don't you, Jesse? It's life-changing. I love it. I it's use it so as well. Good. If my mum isn't... I do, yeah. on and off. Like, And it's really, I, one of the things I like about it is this little surprise of, oh, what's for dinner tonight? And you pull out your thing and they tell you what's for dinner. Yeah. You have to think about it and it's delicious. If um, mum isn't recounting plot lines from The Crown, she's recounting what she had for dinner from HelloFresh. Like <laughs> for her birthday, we were like, let's go out for dinner. And she's like, no, 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 come over and I'll cook my favourite HelloFresh. <laughs> like she is obsessed. She's an ambassador who isn't paid. She calls me and she's like, I had the chicken with the sauce and the rice and then a side of it's salad, really blah, nice. blah, blah. And then I got HelloFresh and I found myself on the phone to my sister going, I had the chicken with the sauce and the rice. I was like, oh, my God, it's happened. I'm turning into her. I'm obsessed. It is so easy. I can't cook to save my life. It takes 30 minutes, most of them, about that. And healthy, yummy, This isn't sponsored. We always tell you uh, when we are recommending something that's sponsored. But also the things that when we do do sponsored reads, they're also things that we use and love and are into as well. But we just are all into HelloFresh. And the thing is HelloFresh are ace, but there are other ones who do the same thing, of course. Like there are quite a lot and there are some that are local and use different things, this and that. But I just think it's a really like – it's just a smart way to eat. No waste. It is and yes. no waste. No exactly. Waste. It's the no waste that's outstanding. And if you jump into the Mum Me Out Louders group, there is always someone saying, I've got four free boxes to give away. Give me your email address because they have great like mm. rewards and stuff if you use it lots. So you can definitely get a free box off an Out Louder and try it. Thank you for listening to Mum Mirror Out Loud. That is all we have time for this week. We will be back in your ears on Monday. This episode is produced by Emma Gillespie. The executive producer of Mum Mirror Out Loud is Eliza Ratliff. We'll see you on Mum Mirror. Bye. Bye. Mum Mirror acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.